0: Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. I found something out this week. Did you know how many calories the average American puts away in just one meal, Thanksgiving dinner? Do you know how many calories it is? I found out, it's kind of disgusting. 4,500 calories is what the average person in America eats in one meal on Thanksgiving. And if that's the average, you know there's some of us who are putting away 10,000, right? That's, That's just the average among us. I was trying to be an overachiever. I went for 20 this Thanksgiving. It was an amazing weekend. We had multiple Thanksgivings all weekend. It was great. But now that we're through Thanksgiving, past Black Friday, now we enter what's called the Advent season. I'm so stoked that one of the OG families of Harbor Church, the Limbs, got to help us kick off the Advent season. The rest of the world calls this the Christmas season, or if you want to be inclusive, the festive season. But Advent, it's something a little different than what we normally think of as the Christmas season. Advent, as it's been celebrated by the church for thousands of years, it's not about shopping, decorating, not about Mariah Carey songs, it's about something a little different. Advent is about remembering how dark the world was until the light of Christ appeared. It's about remembering how much we were missing before Christ came. Because it's only when you fully comprehend the darkness that you can fully appreciate the light. I discovered that a couple of years ago. I was on a flight to Southeast Asia. It was a night flight. And so we were flying over the South China Sea. And so they had all the lights on the plane off. Everybody else in the plane was fast asleep, but I can never sleep on planes. So I'm just wide awake, wondering what to do. I decided to open up the window shade. And when I did that, what I saw literally made me gasp out loud. Here's what I saw out of the window and in my sleep deprived state, I actually thought for a few seconds, I was looking at stars and we were flying upside down. I thought that for a few seconds until I put it all together. And after a few minutes, finally figured out what I was looking at. These are fishing boats, thousands of fishing boats spread for hundreds of miles across the South China Sea. It was amazing. I've taken a few more flights, night flights, across the South China Sea, and I see that almost every time. Why do they do that? Because fish are attracted to the light. They go out at night, shine a huge, big spotlight all around their boat, and the fish are attracted to the light. And guess what, family? We're all the same. It's the same for us. When we're in the dark, Like this dark world that we live in, and we've seen the darkness very well over the last few months, the last few years. When we're in the darkness, we are drawn, we are attracted to the light. We're drawn to what's majestic, what's glorious, what's beautiful, what's perfect. And according to the Bible, the brightest light in the universe is Jesus. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, God spoke to the ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, though, he has spoken to us by his Son. The Son is the radiance, the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. And that is what Advent reminds us of. How dark the world was before the radiance finally arrived. How empty the world was until Jesus arrived. Kind of like the empty boxes on this cross. Over the next few weeks, we're slowly going to fill up those pukas with boxes. It said in Hebrews, God spoke to the ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And so we've caught reflections of the radiance of Christ over the years. Through prophets and kings and priests all through the Old Testament people like Abraham, Moses, David, and Jeremiah, they were boxes that filled in a few pukkas, but they only showed us small bits of Christ's character. Each one, maybe one aspect of Christ's character. Jesus had to come to fill in the whole thing, to fill up everything that we need. But over the next few weeks, we're gonna take some time to focus on one of those people each week and see a different aspect of Christ's character that was foreshadowed through each one of those people. First up is Abram. And so if you've got your Bible, open to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12. You know Abram as Abraham. And if you grew up going to church, you probably sang songs about Father Abraham, had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them and so are you, right? You sang that song if you grew up in church. It's an amazing truth in a simple little song about how all of us are the sons and daughters of Abraham who lived thousands of years ago because of the grace of God at work in Abram's life and the obedience that Abram showed in response. He was willing to follow God from his hometown Ur all the way to Canaan, which is really amazing when you understand who he really was and where he was coming from. And so we're gonna see that. If you start In chapter 11, that's where the story actually starts. We're looking at Genesis 11, starting in verse 31. Here's what it says. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, Haran's son, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they set out together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. And then chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So we need a little bit of context here. The city of Ur, that's on the Persian Gulf, and archaeologists have actually uncovered a lot of that city, and they've told us that this was a very advanced city for its time. We're talking 4,000 years ago, and they had amazing architecture, they had indoor plumbing, maybe Japanese toilets, we don't know how advanced these guys were. It was amazing though. And Abram is giving up all of the comfort of this great civilization to go live in this backward land called Canaan. Why? It's probably not because Abram is super close to God right now. It's probably not because he's following God passionately right now. Why do I say that? Because everything around him does not say he was a God follower at this time. According to Joshua 24, Abram's father Terah served pagan gods at this time. Abram's wife was named Sarai, and that's the name of the wife of the moon god. We find out his sister-in-law's name was Milcah, and that's another name for Ishtar, the daughter of the moon god. So when God called Abram, he probably wasn't this super- faithful, super righteous, super holy guy. When God called Abram, he was probably down at the local pagan temple worshiping idols along with the rest of his family. That's everything we can tell about Abram right now. Maybe there was some knowledge of the one true God, Yahweh, that had been passed down through the generations from Adam to Noah to Abram. Maybe there was some of that. But what we know is that the surrounding culture had slowly over time crept into the family. And family, isn't that the way it always works? Doesn't that always happen? Look at what John Piper said in his great little book called Don't Waste Your Life. Piper said, I'm wired by nature to love the same toys that the world loves. I start to fit in. I start to love what others love. I start to call earth home. Before you know it, I'm calling luxuries need." I'm using my money just the way unbelievers do. And we're supposed to be different, but we end up conforming to everything else around us. And so that's why God is calling Abram out of that culture, calling him out of this pagan culture to be distinct, to be separate from the rest of the world. And he's sending Abram with a whole bunch of promises. Look at what God says to Abram in verse two. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What an incredible gift of promises right here. First, Abram, I'm going to make your family into a great nation. That's an amazing promise. Because right now, Abram and his wife Sarai, they can't have kids He's 75 years old. They haven't had a single kid yet. How is God going to make them into a great nation? Well, God's making a big promise, an impossible promise to show that God's going to have to do it all by himself. This is all going to come from him. Also, he says, Abram, I'm going to make your name great. Your name, which is really striking because just before this in Genesis 11, there's the story of the Tower of Babel about these people who spent 100 years building this ginormous tower. And why do they do it? According to the Bible, because they wanted to make a name for themselves. They didn't pull it off. But God says, Abram, I'm going to make a name for you. I'm going to do it myself. And then, Abram, I'm going to bless the people who bless you, and if anyone dishonors you, they'll get cursed. Wouldn't that be an amazing promise to walk around with? Yeah. A knucklehead who just cut you off on the H1? Flat tire, boom, just like that. That would be amazing. Except that's not really what we're talking about here. God's not talking about revenge. What he's saying is, I'm gonna block the people who are trying to block my plan to bless the whole world. That's what I'm gonna do. Because he says to Abram, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I'm gonna bless you so you can be a blessing to the whole world which is another crazy thing. How is one random guy in the middle of the desert going to bless the entire world? How is that going to happen? Well, it's going to happen through the one who comes from the line of this random guy in the desert 1,800 years later. God's going to bless the descendants of Abram for the next 1,800 years so that they can bless the world through a savior. Family, the only reason why God gives any of us blessings is so that we can be a blessing to the people around us. Maybe you're a small business owner and you pray every morning for God to bless your business. Guess what? He will. He will do that so that you can be a blessing to the people around you. He'll help you make money so that you can make a difference. So that you can be a blessing to your employees, to your vendors, to your clients. That's the reason why God blesses us with anything. Anything that he's given us. So maybe he's blessed you with a nice, comfortable condo. How does he want to use that to be a blessing to other people? Maybe he's blessed you with a really flexible work schedule. How does God want to use that to bless other people? I don't know, maybe God's blessed you with some Super Bowl tickets, and he wants you to bless your favorite pastor. I don't know what God's given you in life. All I know is God wants you to use whatever blessings he's given you to bless the people around you. God's promising all kinds of blessings to Abram. And so it says in verse 4, Abram went. Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. It's just three little words. So Abram went, but those three words are so powerful. We're talking about radical obedience here. Abram has taken a leap of faith and leaving everything behind. Most importantly, his land. Because in that culture, in that day, it was a lot the same as native Hawaiian culture. Family and land are most important. Your family is what gives you identity. Your land is what gives your family security. That's why the Lahaina fire was so devastating. It tore families apart and tore families away from their land. I was just speaking to someone right between the services who who is living here on Oahu right now because can't even get back to the land. Who knows how many years it'll be until that happens. And in Abram's state, your land was everything, everything. If you lived out in the country, your land was what allowed you to raise crops, raise livestock, provide for your family, keep yourself alive. If you lived in the, in the city, your land was where you did your business. And so your land was what you passed down to your kids so they could continue your business and take care of you when you got old. And Abram is willingly leaving all of that behind. When he goes to Canaan, he's not going to have any of that. He's not going to have any family beyond his little immediate family. He's not going to have any land. He's not going to have any status, no connections. And so what we're talking about here is a life-changing leap. Leaving everything, absolutely everything behind. Launching out into something that's completely unknown, with no safety net, nothing to fall back on. If Abram goes to Canaan and God doesn't show up, Abram dies. It's as simple as that. So the kind of obedience that we're talking about here it's not just about stepping out in faith and and getting a new job or, or moving to a new house. The kind of obedience we're seeing here is about being ready to give up everything for God, everything that gives you security in life, everything that gives you status in life. From what we can tell, Abram wasn't naturally willing to do that. He wasn't following God at this point. So God had to supernaturally work on his heart to make him ready to do all that. And God will do the same thing for us. He'll provide everything you need to do everything that he asks. Like it says in Philippians 2, it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. God gives you the desire and the discipline that you need to do the good things that he's calling you to do. He'll provide everything just like he provided everything for Abram. What did it say? Abram set out for Canaan with all the possessions they had accumulated, with all the people they had acquired in Haran. So Abram leaves Ur with nothing, and along the way in Haran, God provides everything. He accumulated possessions. He acquired people. And maybe when you read that, you thought it was talking about Abram like buying servants or slaves, but there's a different Hebrew word that they should have used there if they meant servants or slaves. Totally different word. What we're probably talking about here is people who saw God working in Abram's life and they wanted the same thing for their own life. And so they put their trust in God and they said, Abram, I'll I'll follow you wherever God is leading you. Abram didn't have his extended family with him anymore and so God provided a new family, new brothers and sisters to back him up. And then look at what it says in verse five. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. That word Moreh that means teacher, and so this is probably the place where the Canaanite priests taught people how to worship Baal. And the worship of Baal would have included child sacrifice. They sacrificed babies to their god, Baal. That's what Abram saw when he arrived at this place. The Canaanites were vicious people, bloodthirsty people, which helps you understand the feeling we're supposed to get when it says Canaanites were in the land. If you're just skimming through this story, you're like, well, no doubt Canaanites are in the land. It's the land of Canaan. But now you understand this is a scary statement there. You understand that Abram is feeling surrounded by these vicious, bloodthirsty people. He's outnumbered, he's alone, which is why God has to show up and give him a little reminder in verse seven. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I'll give this land. Which tells you that Abram is just like you and me. If he was the spiritual superhero that we kind of think he was, He wouldn't need this reminder. He wouldn't need this little pick-me-up from God, this little uh, motivational speech from God. Just one word from God would have been enough for him to say, all right, I'll go and I'll trust. But Abraham's just like you and me, and we are forgetful people. We need constant reminders from God that he'll provide everything we need to do everything he asks, and that's what Abram needed too. Abram wasn't perfect but he was profoundly obedient. And he was a reflection of the radiant obedience of Christ. You can see that really clearly in the book of Hebrews. Look at what it says in Hebrews 11. Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed, and he set out for a place where he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. So God called Abraham to something specific, go, go, but he didn't give Abraham any of the specifics. He didn't know where he was going. Guess what? God's doing the same thing in your life. He is calling you to something specific. He's calling you to trust him, to obey him, to follow him, even though he's probably not given you many of the specifics that are gonna be involved. Where, Lord? How, Lord? When, Lord? You probably don't have any of those answers. He just wants you to trust that he'll provide everything you need to do everything he asks. Like Abraham, look at what it says in Hebrews 11. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. And that right there, that's what obedience is all about. Leaving what's comfortable to go live as a nomad. This is what obedience means right here. Number one, obedience means sacrifice. Sacrifice. Abraham gave up everything to go to Canaan. That was dangerous. That was costly. That was uncomfortable. I mean, Bro is 75 years old making this trip. That couldn't have been comfortable. And when he got there, he had to live in a tent. when's the last time you went camping? All right? Camping is terrible. It's awful. We always think it's gonna be great. We have this this romantic idea of sleeping out with nature and then we get there and we're like, why is the dirt always coming in to my sleeping bag? Why are the bugs always coming? Why is the rain always coming through this rainproof tent? Why is this happening? Camping is awful, but that's what Abraham was going into. That's what Abraham's life was like for who knows how many years. But that's what obedience to God looks like. Sacrifice. And then number two, patience. Patience because it says in Hebrews, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, as did Isaac and Jacob. And that reminds you with that little statement right there, how long Abram had to go, how long he had to wait. Because Abraham, according to the rest of Genesis, he lived there 25 years before God finally fulfilled his promise to give him a son, Isaac. 25 years of waiting and wondering and doubting. Everybody else around him totally gave up faith. When his wife, Sarai, Sarah, heard that they were having a baby, she laughed. And it wasn't a good laugh. It was a cynical laugh. She had given up all hope that God was gonna fulfill his promises. But Abram kept believing, and he kept obeying all because of number three, hope. This is a huge requirement of obedience. It's it's the only thing that makes obedience possible when obedience is really hard, when obedience seems impossible. There's gotta be something you're looking forward to. Like it says in Hebrews, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations whose architect and builder is God. Yeah, Abraham left this nice, big, comfortable city behind to go live in a tent. Why would he do that? Because he had hope that God was building a bigger city with all of us as citizens. God was building an empire, a kingdom that would stretch across the entire world. He had hope. And that hope is what made him obedient. It's allowed him to reflect the radiance of Christ's obedience, like we heard from the limbs in Hebrews 5. Although Christ was the son, he learned obedience. That's something strange to think about. Christ learned obedience from what he suffered, and after he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Christ the son was perfectly obedient to the plan of the father all the way to death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. And now because of his sacrifice, because of Christ's obedience on the cross, we can reflect that obedience just like Abraham did. We have the opportunity and the ability to obey God just like Jesus did, just like Abraham did. And so I wanna close with three questions that'll help us see where we are on the obedience scale. Three questions to help you know if you are being obedient right now. First question we got to ask ourselves is, am I trusting? Am I trusting God? Because God wasn't calling Abraham to just move to a new job, move to a new house. He was calling Abraham to give up everything in life. Everything. And Abraham had had to have radical trust to do that. So we got to ask ourselves, am I willing to do the same? Am I willing to do the same? Because there's usually something that we're not willing to give up. God, you can have anything in my life, just not this. Not this. And it's something different for every one of us. Maybe it's a certain balance in your bank account that makes you feel secure. Maybe it's a certain status in your career that makes you feel successful. Maybe it's a sport. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's some pursuit could be the trips that you want to take, these experiences that you really want to have. Maybe you're a student, and it's the grades that you're getting in school that'll get you into the right next school. Maybe you're a parent, and it's your kids' grades that'll get them into the right school. You can have anything, God, just not this, not this. And that one thing that we won't give up it is a flashing neon sign that tells us where we don't trust God. We got to ask, am I trusting? And then number two, am I following? Am I following? Because it was one thing for Abram to trust God. It was a whole nother thing for him to follow God. To follow this specific call without getting any of the specifics. When he was back in Ur, God's like, hey, Abram, you got to go. Abram's like, where? God's like, I'll tell you later. God's like, hey, Abram, I'm going to give you a son. Abram's like, okay, how? God's like, yeah, I'll tell you later. You just got to follow me. And, And so Abram follows God for a while, but then he stops halfway in Haran. He just stops there. Finally, after his father dies, he's ready to go all the way to Canaan. Sometimes God has to take away the things that we lean on so we are forced to lean on him. So we're ready to follow him. I know maybe you're in a season right now where God is taking things away from you. It just feels like a season of loss right now. And maybe, not definitely, but maybe, That's because God is trying to nudge you to do something that you weren't willing to do. So ask yourself, am I trusting? Am I following? And then number three, am I blessing? Am I blessing? Because God is blessing you right now. He's a father who loves to give good gifts to his kids and it's not so that you can sit and and hoard them for yourself. It's not so you can sit and just enjoy them all by yourself. He blesses you so that you can be a blessing to the people around you. Maybe you're like, yeah, that sounds nice in theory, but I just don't feel very blessed right now. I don't have the job that I wanted. Or maybe it's, I don't have the house that I wanted. I don't have the career path that I wanted. I don't have the marriage that I wanted. Maybe it's, I don't have the kids that I wanted. Yeah, but you have six kids. They're not the ones that I wanted, all right? Maybe that's you. I don't know. There's always some way that we don't feel blessed the way we wanted to be blessed, but God has blessed you with something, and he wants you to use that something to bless the people around you. Like the widow that Jesus saw at the temple who dropped two little pennies into the offering for the poor. meant she was poor. She only had two pennies. But in her mind, she's saying, yeah, I'm not as poor as that guy who has zero pennies. So she put all she had, two pennies in there. And when Jesus saw that, he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has given more than anyone else. Yeah, because it doesn't matter how much you offer. It matters how motivated you are to be a blessing to God and to his people and to the world around you. And we've got a great opportunity to be a blessing this month. Every year we do something we call the Christmas conspiracy. Christmas conspiracy because it's a little subversive. Everybody else in our culture is focused for the next month on giving and receiving things that they don't need, all right? Let's be honest. The Christmas gifts we give and receive, we don't need them. They don't need them. And so what we try to do every Christmas is spend this month focusing on the blessings that God has given us and seeing how we can use those to be a blessing to people who they will impact in a very profound way. This year, there's a lot of folks that God has brought to us with serious needs. There's victims of the Lahaina fire who've moved to Oahu for who knows how long with nothing. One person who lost both parents, a six-year-old girl who lost both parents. We've got folks right here in Kaka'ako who are struggling to stay in their homes, folks who already lost their homes, living on the streets, but they're taking serious steps to get free from substances and get off the streets, and we want to be a blessing. We want to use the blessings that God has given us to be a blessing to the people around us. And so there's details in the bulletin of how you can give towards the Christmas conspiracy. Because God's word to us is the same word that he gave to Abram. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Let's pray together. Father, we are ridiculously blessed. This morning, we woke up. What a blessing that is. We got here, and we're still breathing. What a blessing that is. You've lavished us with your love and grace every day, but most especially through your son, Jesus. The radiance, bright, shining light, the greatest blessing that we could ever hope for, your one and only son, the best thing in the universe. We are ridiculously blessed. So help us, Lord, to see how we can use the blessings that you've given us to be a blessing to the people around us. Help us to see how you're calling us into something new, maybe something uncomfortable, maybe something radically sacrificial in order to bless the people you've put in our lives. Help us to be obedient like Abraham was and ultimately like Jesus was through his death on the cross and resurrection from the grave. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.